Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word which teaches and instructs us when the Holy Spirit comes to make its truth powerful in our lives. And so we pray today, Lord, that you will help us to learn and be instructed, to be challenged and to be encouraged by your word from the book of Lamentations. We commit ourselves to you now and pray that your Holy Spirit will come and speak and enable us to hear. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, first of all, thank you to um, Keith for leading our service at such short notice. Um, and also to say, uh, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, that there is uh, tea and coffee over here. Um, and this week we have um, oranges and biscuits and cake. Um, thank you to Amy for the cakes. Um, so help yourself afterwards um, if you feel free to stay for a while and chat. There is a little book in print uh, with the arresting title, When Bad Things Happen to God's People. It's written by Warren Wearsby and begins like this. It isn't the normal demands of life that break us. It is the painful surprises. We find ourselves fighting battles in a war we never declared and carrying burdens for reasons we don't understand. And his book is an attempt to answer one of the apparent mysteries of the Christian faith, which is, why do bad things happen to God's people? Sadly, of course, there are some Christians who believe there is no good reason for bad things. And so when bad things happen, they are tempted to abandon the faith. A little boy was leading his sister up a mountain path. And it wasn't easy. And the little girl complained, this isn't a path at all. It's all rocky and bumpy. And her brother replied, but the bumps are what you climb on. And Warren uh, Wearsby writes, most of us respond in a predictable way to the rocks in the path. We complain about them, we kick against them, and we only hurt ourselves. Some people just stop and go no further. Others give up and turn back. But the child of God does not have to stop or go back. He can use the rocky places in life as stepping stones to climb higher. The bumps are what you climb on. Now, there are many um, examples in Scripture of God's people facing rocky places of disappointment and distress. Let me name a few. David, um, who we saw on um, the video. Do you remember the story of David or the, the account of David foolishly marching with the Philistine army against King Saul and his own people? And the Philistine commanders were not impressed with this and he was sent back to his base 
in a place called Ziklag and when he arrived he found it deserted. The women and children who had been left behind had all been captured. You find the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and then in verse 3. And we read in verse 4 that David wept. No wonder that he wept. Job, facing the loss of his farm, his family and his health, tearing his robe and shaving his head. Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Naomi, returning to, Jeru to Bethlehem in poverty, mourning the loss of her husband and two sons who had all died in Moab. Do you remember that in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 7? How about Simon Peter, who denied knowing Jesus three times until he broke down and wept? Mark chapter 14 and verse 72. And then Paul and Silas in stock, in the inner cell, in prison, in Philippi, praying, yes, and singing hymns. If ever there was a man who should have quit and was regularly tempted to quit, it was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah spent a lifetime in Jerusalem frustrated and ignored. He had the same, the same difficult message for God's people, repent or be punished. A message that God had given to him, a message that was for God's people. And for 40 years, Jeremiah preached, suffered house arrest, the burning of his books, imprisonment, everyone turning against him, even his own family, until he lived to see his nation overrun and the city of Jerusalem with its magnificent temple destroyed by the Babylonian army. Sometimes Jeremiah is described as the prophet with a broken heart. So the question is, why did God allow him and in a sense, the prophet Jeremiah was representing the whole nation of God's people. Why did God allow him to suffer so much? Well, we're going to let Jeremiah, who is quoted, did you know? I didn't know this. He was quoted um, by Jesus uh, more than any other Old Testament writer. Let Jeremiah give his own answer. We go back to... Uh, 587 BC, the Babylonian army has destroyed Jerusalem. Jeremiah is walking the deserted streets in distress. We read in Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. And in the book of Lamentations, he records his reaction as he walks around the smoking ruins. And we discover that from these smoking ruins come cries of lamentation and confession and the daring hope of restoration. And chapter 3 illustrates how Jeremiah came to understand 
and cope with his disappointment and his overwhelming discouragement. It's a chapter that has helped countless believers down through the centuries. And my hope is that it will help some of us um, here this morning. Now, three, um, we've got three points and there are three slides to look at. The first is based on verses 1 to 18 of our reading. And I'm being cautious here by putting the word often in brackets. Um, disappointments often find their origin in the character of God. Now, how do we know this? Because the author of Jeremiah's confusion in verses 1 to 16 of our reading in chapter 3 is the Lord himself. Do you notice um, in the first 16 verses the word he, referring to God, appears 16 times. He has driven me away. He has turned his hand against me. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has besieged me and so on. He has pierced my heart with arrows. I became the laughingstock of all my people. And this he, in verses 1 to 16, is Jeremiah's and our Father God. Um, do you remember later in uh, Hebrews um, chapter 12 and verse 11, we read, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And Jeremiah discovered that his disappointment found its origin in the character of God. Secondly, in verses 19 to 30, disappointments find their purpose in the covenant love of God. Um, in verse 22, uh, we read, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. The word love um, in verse 22 is, the word that is translated love, is a special word uh, in Hebrew. It's the word that means covenant love or loyalty. It is the unique love that God as Father has for his people, his children. And when we find ourselves in rocky places, God is not absent, but he is present to surround us with his covenant love. And Psalm 23, David, again, is writing and he says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. On the cross at Calvary, 
when Jesus, as the second Adam, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is no hint that covenant love, the covenant love between the Father and the Son, was at any point fractured. Even in his forsakenness, Jesus was surrounded, he was immersed in, he was bathed by his Father's unbroken love for his only Son. And his death would lead to his rising again on the third day. We sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Now let me read these verses uh, that, are, that have been so special to so many believers down through the years in chapter 3 of Lamentations, verses 21 to 23. And Jeremiah writes, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Um, I don't know about you, but I, can, I think I can remember the first time as a Christian that I came across um, those verses in Lamentations. And they're verses that once you've read, you never forget, and you return to time and time again. It's no use fighting God's will. Jeremiah speaks in these verses of an acceptance, of a waiting to see what he will do. Uh, verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's a recognition that God is dealing with us, with you, personally, one-to-one, -one, and this is the crucial point in helping us, or beginning to help us understand why God so often allows us to suffer disappointments. The reason is that disappointments throw us onto him. Jeremiah's family, his friends, his countrymen, all turned against him. Where could he go? Where else could he go but to the Lord? What else could he do but wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord? It was the same uh, for David when he went back to Ziklag, to the base where his, uh, his, the, the women and children were and, and uh, all the equipment they needed for the army. He went back and found it deserted and he, he weeps until he could weep no more, we read. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, this little verse, but David found strength in the Lord his God. So Jeremiah's character and his... Uh, determination was strengthened by what he suffered. God was refining him. 
he was being made, if you like, Christ-like. This was Jeremiah's Calvary moment. This was his personal death and resurrection experience. He was climbing on the bumps of the ruined city and he found them to be stepping stones to patient maturity and new life. Finally, verses 31 to 33. Disappointments find their fulfillment or their meaning in the compassion of God. Verse 32, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. When we recognize that God is sovereign and in control of every aspect and incident in our lives, including disappointments, we learn along with David and Naomi and Job and Simon Peter and Paul and Silas and Jeremiah, we learn to wait patiently and to discover what the Lord is teaching us. We are not cast off by him forever. He will show compassion. And however much the devil wants, to, wants us to believe otherwise, God does not fail us. His time scale is perfectly planned and carried out. There is a purpose and there will always be an end. So great is his unfailing love. Now the question is, how do we apply this to ourselves today and what are the disappointments and discouragements that we are facing or have faced, for example, over the past week? And how can we take this remedy and apply it to those discouragements and to those disappointments? We simply take God's word And in prayer we apply it and we ask God to do for us what he did for Jeremiah and enable us to cope with the bumps as we climb on them and to bring us to a new sense of maturity in Christ. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the the great Victorian preacher, um, his sermons used to be published every week and I think on the day that they were, the day or the day after that they were preached. Uh, but he also wrote under uh, another name. He wrote under the name of John Plowman. Um, and John Plowman was uh, an author, Spurgeon said, who would bring plain advice for plain people. And I suppose that's us. And he said this, A false faith can only float in smooth water. But true faith, like a lifeboat, is at home in storms. If our religion does not bear us up in times of trial, what is the use of it? If we cannot believe God when our circumstances appear to be against us, we do not believe him at all.
So I hope that you will take these words from Lamentations chapter 3, especially the verses 21 to 23, and absorb them, drink them, eat them like medicine and food to bring great hope to your soul and to your life. Because this is the God that we worship. This is the God who has led us here in Highland International Church over ten years to where we are today. This is the God who will help us through our grief and disappointments. This is the God who will never fail us and whose compassion is always for us. This is the God who is faithful. And if our religion, says Spurgeon, doesn't bear us up in times of trial, what is the use of it? So let us pray that God will use what he has given to us to bear us up in our times of trial, your times of trial, at home, at school, at work, with family, with friends, with enemies, and make us strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing these words in a moment. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the weight of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. Through every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Your gracious heavenly friend through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to walk with Jeremiah through what seems to us sometimes uh, the ruins of our world and even our lives. And we pray that you will help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to climb and to walk on these bumps, that we might become stronger in Christ, that we might become more bold in Christ to share the good news of the Gospel with others. Help us, Lord, today, before we leave this place, to commit ourselves to you again and to know your great love, to experience your compassion and to believe that your faithfulness is great. We commit ourselves to you. We pray for our brother James and David as they travel back home here and pray that you will keep them safe for in a sense this has been a disappointment for them. And so we commit them to you and thank you for them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let's sing.